Watch out. I am warning you. Watch out. Watch out. <laughs> it seems tough times are lasting in 2020. We're in trouble. Big trouble. Now about damn it. About demi demi. Tough time never lasts. Only tough people last. So when the year started, we all thought, woo, 20 plenty. A year of plenty of opportunities, joy, plenty of traveling. There's very little traveling happening around the world. There's a lot of sadness around the world. And for us as South Africans, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about the way forward. The National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown for 21 days with effect from midnight on Thursday, the 26th of March. This is a decisive measure to save lives of South Africans from infection and save the lives of hundreds of thousands of our people. As of Thursday at 11.59, that's going into midnight on Friday, this country is on lockdown. What does that mean? The restaurants are closed. You can't Uber eat. You shouldn't be going to work. At least you should be working from home. You will not be up and about hanging out with your friends at the parks. Those are all closed. The swimming pools are closed. Only essential workers. So you've got health workers and people who are working in the food industry who are working. And I think you include telecommunications and, of course, ourselves in the media who will be working. And then you'll have the army. A presence we're not used to seeing in South Africa. But why have they taken such drastic measures? To try and curb the spread of the coronavirus, to flatten the curve and make sure that we don't have any more transmissions of this outbreak in the country. Individuals will not be allowed to leave their homes except under strictly controlled circumstances, such as to seek medical care, buy food, medicine and other supplies or collect a social grant. But guys, let's be honest, they had no other option. Halima Meili, immediately after the president said, self-isolate, social distance, what do you do? Limikiting, manyalong, you're at the beach, you're playing 30 seconds, you want to hang out at the taverns, at the bars. You don't listen, guys. You're not listening. We're in trouble. We're in trouble, all of us here. And guys, the stockpiling. You've been told, not only by the president, but it's been stressed by other ministers, by economists, by us in the media. Do not stockpile. Do not go and fill your trolleys with goods. We are not going into bunkers. We are going to be in our homes. Pharmacies will be open. Grocery stores will be open. But what do you do? I was stuck in a queue for hours on end Really trying to get a pack of panados. I'm sorry if I sound like I think I'm your school principal or your auntie or your mom, but this needs to stop. We are uh, discouraging panic buying, hoarding of stuff. We think that is not correct, uh, and people must try and make sure that they, we, they, they uh, you know, take it easy. Uh, government is actually making all the efforts to secure that essentials don't run out. My intention with the second episode of this podcast was not to speak about the coronavirus, but the COVID-19 outbreak is here now. The global pandemic is in South Africa, and we are potentially at a tipping point. I hate to give you guessworks, but uh, we still expect the numbers to increase. 
or the next two uh, uh, next week but once our whole program tightens up strongly and we expect that probably if there should be a change we should probably start seeing it not next week but probably towards the end of the second week or maybe the third week it's taken korea four weeks to actually start seeing the inflection of the curve this podcast is called one more thing with myself cd madia This week we'll bring you guests to shed more light on the COVID-19 outbreak and we'll put politics on the back burner for a little while. So the first person we're going to speak to is Laurel Boyers, a South African journalist who's been based in Italy for several years now. She'll share her thoughts on what it's like living through a lockdown. Hi Laurel, I know you are stuck in the house with two little boys. I think you've been stuck there for a while. How's the cabin fever? Actually... I'm having quite a different um, experience of this. Like I speak to my colleagues and they're a lot like younger, younger than me. And a lot of them are at the stage where they're bored and they don't know what to do. And I think that I haven't had the luxury of being bored yet because the the kids, you know, you keep them stimulated and there's a lot going on. You know, there's also a perception that you're sort of sitting captive in the house somewhere. Trust me, you'll be busier than you've ever been. Um, Let's speak about the month that has been in Italy in the past three weeks or so, you know, upon the lockdown being declared as well. What has it actually been like in the country? The strangest things about the lockdown for me would be things like um, I live about 20 meters from a grocery store. And right now um, we can only go into the store one at a time. So that's definitely something that's changed. The hardest part surely is the physical distance. And I think don't take for granted that a lot of people are going to do this um, by their, by themselves on their own. Even more important now than ever to stay in contact with people. I'm checking up on a lot of people. It's strange because it's been another way to even reignite some friendships that have fallen by the wayside. You just want to make sure that everybody's okay. Checking checking on people in my street. We, it's like a little village, basically. It's the end of the city. There's a much older generation of people living here. So mm. it's just the sense of checking with them if they need anything on the the chances that we do go outside. I mean, it's not like we're walking around all day, but we are getting food and whatever. Nothing has run out, by the way. So if this is a fear in South Africa that you're going to wake up after 10 days and there'll be no food, trust me, we haven't gone a day without. If anything, it will even test your creativity, you know. Everybody I see is online cooking and baking up a storm or whatever. So it's also just, I think, um, the big lesson after this um, lockdown or from this lockdown is just going to be all the time that we've had for introspection. I think that the, the way we work, the way companies function, the way employees are treated, all of these things have actually been highlighted by the response to this. You know, I feel so much panic as I speak to you, Laurel. I'm not sleeping. I'm thinking about this virus at every turn. And maybe it's because I'm also a journalist in it, you know. Um, But I fear that first death, the first death when we hear about it, because then I don't know what what we'll do. Are there alternative measures that the government is, is, is considering or is the lockdown the only way forward? This week in particular, there's been some um, contradictory information coming through because we had like a day of really slowed down cases reported and then the next day it spiked and a day later nothing and then it spiked again. So I would say in the grand scheme of things, the lockdown 
is working like now the major the major worry is what's happening in the south of italy for example and i'll tell you what happened there because it's a learning for south africa the day that the the region my region emilia romana was declared a red zone they also shut down milan that same night and what happened was as you can imagine milan is a type of johannesburg cape town a hub yes, yes. and people go there for work not because they they're from there or they live there and Two hours before this news actually leaked in the media, before Conti addressed the country, um, and what people did was they went running to the airport, running to the train stations, and they headed south, wherever they come from. You know, a lot of people come to Johannesburg for work, come to Cape Town for work, these bigger cities, and you really, really need to contain it where it is. It's an important thing. The last thing you want to do is go to some remote village or rural area. And infect people who don't have access to hospitals, clinics, and um, medical supplies. So I think more than than watching all this information and being scared, take the lessons from it. In in some ways, I try to see the positive side of this, and I can say that for me, a positive side to this is that it's not in no way am I saying it's a good thing, but the positive thing is that this happened in Italy, an established country where people have the means, where the healthcare system does function. Um, I mean, I go to public hospitals here, which is not a lived experience in South Africa. It's not something I would have done back home, and I'm just being honest. So the system works, and they were able to address as best they can and try to implement these measures. And it works because also, you know, people are taking responsibility for other people. But had this happened in a lesser developed country, this the toll would have been much greater. The spread would have gone. Like, it could have been a greater disaster than it already is. Mm. I've got one more question very quickly, Laurel. As a South African, you're observing how we are reacting to the news on social media. I keep saying we laugh to keep from crying. What do you make of how South Africans have been actually processing this? And also, I'm sure you're speaking to your family members and friends. I mean, we engage about this on social media. What do you make of how we've actually dealt with the crisis that's now hit the Republic? I appreciate that South Africans are just dealing with it in a very South African way. <laughs> so I find that that South African spirit of just, uh, you know, I'm not saying we're laughing at all for laughing at it, but we just, it's not heavy. And that really is a coping mechanism. I'm taking in the information that I need, but what I'm not doing is watching 24-hour news and counting numbers and tallies and stuff, because that type of stuff will drag you down very quickly. So um, I really appreciate speaking to you know you guys, and we've distracted ourselves and online challenges. And there's a lot of different ways to cope. I think right now we all need to take care of our mental health as well, because it, it is dark. The lack of of insights like nobody's giving you a definite end date like on this day there will be no more disease uh i think it's the one time that we will really be tested our our sense of community our sense of the spirit of ubuntu because right now the actual responsibility responsible sorry for the well-being of other people nameless people so when you're standing there filling a trolley with food for yourself and your family and you don't care that other people have the same basic needs that says a lot about you thank you so much that's laurel boyers coming to us from italy where they're currently experiencing a lockdown scary numbers can i just say we will be okay we're gonna be all right <laughs> cheers <laughs> bye
I'm not tapping into my own resources. I'm bringing on my own doctor, who I understand is probably between rounds at the moment, to speak to you about the coronavirus and how our own health professionals are understanding the impact of the virus and are going to navigate the space. Dr. Audrey Koch is a physician. She's also president of the Physicians Society of South Africa and part of the International Society of Internal Medicines. They're obviously preparing for what will happen once the pandemic takes over our hospitals. Are you satisfied with government's understanding of what it's facing in dealing with the virus and whether or not they understand what health workers are facing, our hospitals are facing, and South Africans are facing on the ground? I think uh, President Ramaphosa has done fantastic work, as has the health minister. The difficulty is that has to come down to the MECs of health of the different provinces because that's where I think um, there are still areas where uh, action has not been taken adequately. Especially Gauteng for me is, is an area of concern because there's such a concentration of cases here. Um, I think it is absolutely crucial that the, the health department of each province use the expertise that's available, um, whether it be public or private sector doctors and, and specialists that can give advice. And they need to heed that advice as urgently as possible. At this stage, we may be a little bit ahead of this crisis, but we cannot sit on our backsides and not do anything. It is absolutely crucial that our public sector hospitals it's not good enough just to screen people at the doors. We have to make sure that the equipment is up to standard. We have to make sure that, again, the same attitude that every person could possibly be a patient and could be infected with a virus. I think that urgency is not yet seen um, in our public sector as we would like it to be um, really throughout our communities because it is affecting every single person. This virus doesn't ask, are you a public or a private patient? Doctor, your international peers, um, when I look at America, look at Italy, Spain, some argue that actually they've lost the battle. There are a lot of people talking about America, for instance, saying America's already lost the battle against Corona. How do we then get ahead of it? I think you've touched on it a little bit now, but what more can be done between our health practitioners and ourselves as South Africans to try and work towards flattening the curve and getting ahead of the virus? I think the most important is that any healthcare worker has to have access to uh, protective clothing, which is not possible for a long period of time because there simply isn't enough equipment. That's where the health department needs to access and get companies to start producing, mass producing protective gear, whether it be masks or the protective gowns, um, the face masks, uh, gloves, and also, again, as I know that they're discussing with some of the motor manufacturers to start doing ventilators because, I mean, a place like Switzerland, they have run out of ventilators. Mm. Now, you think of Switzerland, you know, I'm not even talking about Italy and Spain, and that's where they often come to a situation where they have to choose which patient do you ventilate. We still, as I said, we, we're still ahead of that uh, um, that emergency situation, but if you don't act now, and it's not in two days time it's now today that we have to have a very clear picture what equipment is available how many ventilators do we have and remember people still get sick from other things so you you can't you don't have a storage of ventilators standing around doing nothing you know most of them are in use already so it's really to mobilize whatever is possible to try and be as equipped as we possibly can to ensure that we have um 
that we that we prepared for this. If you look at the uh, protective clothing, because your healthcare workers overseas, many of them are ventilated now, because there's anesthetists, there's doctors, there's nurses that have died, because mm. they they just were exposed, and nobody at the time thought that they would be at risk. So that's why my plea is that everybody just has to take that the next person could be positive and be as as uh, careful as possible for your own safety, the people around you, whether you're a healthcare worker or not. But most importantly, that in the healthcare sector, that the department um, of each province really get your experts together. The, the Medical Research Council, Glenda Gray is involved. They're trying to help the laboratories to perform the tests as quickly as possible. They're trying to make the capacity better. So because the more people you can test, of course, the better idea you have of what you're facing. Most importantly, that uh, people already take protective uh, action, such as I said, the buffies or the the bandanas around your mouth and nose, and or a scarf even. I mean, it's better than nothing. It's not as good as a mask, but it's better than, than uh, not doing anything. And wherever you are in contact with people, that you just try and be as safe as possible. If you take action, the people around you will take note and they will also start, you know, it's like putting a pebble in a pond. Your action can really influence the people around you. And I think that is crucial. Doctor, two very quick, quick questions. The other one is there's concern about other people who've got other ailments over and above the coronavirus. I think I saw an article by Amma Bungani speaking about a gentleman who potentially could have been paralyzed, was turned away because he was told we're preparing for COVID-19. How do we navigate that where our health workers then are not prioritizing other people? You hear about cancer patients being turned back. You hear about surgeries being postponed. Yeah, so I think elective surgeries um, can definitely be postponed, um, specifically surgeries such as ENTs, uh, work, maxillofacial, dentistry, where you have direct contact with aerosols, uh, scopes, for example, um, where they do endoscopy to, to look at uh, for ulcers. Urgent cases remain urgent. And I think it's really the insight of the person who is doing the assessment of the patient. I've heard that security guards are doing it at one of our public sector hospitals. That's completely not adequate. You've mm-hmm. got to have a, have a nursing person that understands and that can triage that patient correctly. So, for example, if there's an urgent case with something else, whatever it might be, that person is still adequately treated. So, you know, normal diseases still happen and and normal conditions, you still get appendicitis or you still have a heart attack. Uh, Those cases can definitely not be shown away. Um, At the same time, people with, uh, you know, a, a, a disease that can wait or symptoms that's not urgent, Again, you've got to have a person with insight that's able to to really make that kind of decision on the ground. My last question to you on a personal level, you know, you are human and you are on the front line as health workers. You will be coming into contact. The likelihood is you'll come into contact with somebody who is positive. As you said, we must take it that everyone around us has it. Do you have fears? I mean, you've seen, as, as you mentioned yourself, you've seen practitioners also falling um, ill to this disease, losing their lives to this disease. What fears and anxieties are you navigating through this? I think we are always aware of being careful with hand hygiene. We are not able at this moment in time to use protective masks ourselves, but we try to just be as careful as possible. So if we examine a patient, they turn their face away, that kind of thing, you immediately wash your hands afterwards. So there's just an extra careful uh, approach. At the same time, we have to not lose that, um, you know, that contact with our patients to ensure that they don't feel isolated. 
Um, and again, I do believe that, you know, if you keep yourself as healthy as possible, uh, make sure that you just try and, and mitigate against the risk of infection as best you can, that we can do a lot to avoid getting uh, infected ourselves. And uh, Lord willing that we stay healthy ourselves so that we can be of service to our patients and to our community. Thank you so much, Dr. Cock. You can go back to your rounds and your patients now. Thanks, TD. Thank you for the opportunity. So usually we'll bring in my colleague, Lisa Katanda, my colleague at the politics desk at News24. However, I've also asked her to take a back seat for a little while, so there'll be no top three with Tanda this week, because as I said earlier, we're focused on the COVID-19 outbreak and ways to understand it a little bit better and to navigate it better here in our country. All right, guys, so that's it from us. Remember, don't stockpile. <laughs> Do not stockpile. No dog walking, no jogging, no jawling, no beaches, no mikete. Stay indoors. Do as the president says, do as the government says. Let's be cooperative. Let's try and fight this thing. Let's flatten the curve. Stay safe. For News 24, my name is Tidi Madia, and this podcast was produced by Noctula Magnati.